0: Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SAS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the impact of branding and building innovative digital products when launching your startup. Today, we have our guest, Dimitro Gretchko, joining us. Dimitro is a self-taught entrepreneur and software engineer who found his passion and borrowed his inspiration from the constant process of learning and meeting new people. His skills and interests range from er- emerging technologies and the latest marketing trends to sports and music. He is the founder and CEO of Studi- Deskree Studio, where he specializes in helping brick and mortar companies digitize their operation and reinvent their business with the latest technologies. His personal goal is to help early stage startups and entrepreneurs uncover their true potential in new, unique markets and connect them with like minded ent- investors. And the right people for the job. So welcome, Dimitro. Uh, Glad to have you on our show today. And hopefully that was a good introduction. Thank
1: you. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here.
0: Cool. Um, So from my understanding at Destry, you help uh, non-tech founders create their products and launch them, right? Um, How are they building or writing the code? Or how are they continuing to build a product after they launch if if they don't have a CTO or that tech background?
1: Well, um, I think the most challenging thing for t- non-tech founders is to understand the technology and its dynamics because, uh, a lot of people are under the impression that technology is something easy. And if they want to build like, uh, you know, some features or anything, it can be done within a very short period of time, which is true. However, we start up limited resources. It's not always the truth. Beside that, understanding the technology can uh, help them broaden their mind in terms of where they can lead their product in the next year, five years, or 10 years. So our job is not just to uh, build the product for them, but also to educate them about technology and what it is. And it's quite often that I actually personally teach some founders how to code so that they actually understand what it is about their ability. And it's that process helped them to hire a CTO later on. So initially, for startups that we work with, we do the coding and we teach them about it. And we also explain to them what are the characteristics of the CTO that will be suitable for their company. And until they find one, we serve as a CTO. Sometimes, you know, just as a hired agency. Sometimes we sit on the board of advisors. But uh, we pretty much guide the startup from the initial stage of an idea to launching the product, even hiring the developers and the CTO and other team members.
0: Got it. So can you get a little deeper on like what the standard strategy or playbook is? So if I'm a startup, I come to you, I need some help as a founder. Um, how am I managing my resources uh, to get to launch and then finally to hire and build a team and then be able to grow on my own?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think with startups, so startup by definition is an organization that's trying to do the impossible with zero resources. <laughs> so, and we, the studio, completely understand that. So, our uh, usually our approach with startups is the minimum is, is the best, and we actually work with them to minimize their product so that it's you know uh, easy to launch and it's suitable for the market. So, building the right MVP. And we help to employ the technology that will help to make this process faster. Because we do a lot of R and D internally, and we do have a lot of uh, tools that we've created that allow us to make you know simple apps not in a few months, but in a few weeks. So this approach helps uh, startups with limited budgets to actually create their product and launch it.
0: Now, other sorry to
1: yeah, and usually, like startups come to us with various resources. Some people uh, have, you know, something they've accumulated from their family. Some people sold their houses to build a startup. So wow. this is, yes, we've we've been in various situations, and depending on the product and the budget available, we go completely different roads.
0: So are they coming to you with the idea and say, "Hey, like I just sold my house, here's some cash, build this product for me," or are they coming to you and say, "Hey, I want to start." A startup, um, and then how do you assess? Like, are you involved in uh, assessing the market viability with the solution, the SaaS solution that you're helping them build, um, or are you just there until they find product market fit? How involved are you in that that side of it?
1: Actually, uh, we are involved as much as the founders allow us to be involved, and most of the time, I would say that we refuse to work with probably eighty percent of the startups that come to us because, uh, well. First of all, like I'm personally a believer that there is no concept of a great idea. Every reasonable idea is great. But at the same time, it's all about how involved the founder is in the process. And because success depends on this implementation. If we look like Airbnb seemed like a crazy idea a few years ago. Nobody wanted to invest. Uh, and we look at it now. Uh, 3D printers seemed like an amazing idea. And everybody was saying that, well, in a few years, everybody will have one. But okay. turns out it's not really the case. So for us, it's mostly like uh, we involved with the founders to identify whether they, what they're building is a great thing for the market. And it's so easy because you can do a lot of research. You can assess the market size, the yearly growth rate, and things like that. But the, at the end of the year, like you, you can see that it all comes down to what people say because uh, if you, you know, put this through customer lenses and ask people questions like, would you like, from the industry, would you like to have this product? Would you want to use it? If so, how would you like to use this? This is actually the answer the question whether the product is fit for the existing market. And later on, yes, we have said the market size and things like that, but we're involved very deep in the process
0: from the beginning. So you guys are actually going out and doing the research or helping them do that, um, speaking exactly. to potential clients and seeing okay. if there's actual interest. We do.
1: We do the research. We help them even create the scripts. We help them create their pitch decks, uh, their public speaking. So it's mostly it comes down to everything that we see they might need at this stage, because throughout the years, uh, through our own mistakes, we've accumulated a lot of knowledge, and mm-hmm. this is some something that we want, you know, our startups to have. And quite often, we just. You know, even if we see that we're not the right fit for the startup, let's say they don't have enough budget to work with us, what we're gonna do anyway? We're gonna make few uh, sessions with them. We're gonna explain to them as much as we can about what they should do from our perspective. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so it's all it's all about helping.
0: Cool. So I know you also work with uh, brick and mortar companies, right? You help them digitize their operation, reinvent their business with the help of using more you know modern technology. What are some trends or you know certain businesses you've you've seen that this works really well recently in making that shift?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I would say that revenue-wise for us, it's probably seventy percent of the revenue is brick and mortar companies, and however workload-wise, it's pretty much sixty percent startups, forty percent brick and mortars. So mm-hmm. we definitely seen a lot of trends, and some of them very unfortunate from my perspective. So but it all depends on the business. So for some businesses that we work with, they're partially digitalized. So for them, the innovation might lie in using artificial intelligence to boost their productivity or, you know, analyze some patterns. But 80% of the time, it's still two things. It's automation because unfortunately, a lot of businesses are still doing a lot of manual labor, which is expensive. It's inefficient it you know, ought to subject to a lot of errors and this is not the right way. So we help them automate everything from quotation, inventory management, marketing, you name it. And uh, beside that, it's also client communication because a lot of businesses still communicate with their clients in a null way and we help them find out creative ways of doing this. So let it be a mobile app, let it be a chat bot, uh, you know, an app for Google Home or anything like that. We've even seen one of our brick and mortar clients turning into SaaS startups and mm-hmm. selling their products, physical products uh, as a service through uh, digital tools. So there is definitely a, a trend towards a new way of communicating with the existing client base.
0: Can you give some examples of some companies? You don't have to say the name, but you know what what kind of stores are this? For example, that one that was brick and mortar moved to uh SaaS company, like what? What? what, what yeah, give me an example. What
1: was it? Uh, this is a Canadian-based company. It's an accounting firm, and okay. they traditionally work with, uh, you know, very brick-and-mortar organizations. So it mostly was medical dentists. who work with the construction companies as well. And they, uh, due to the COVID, they've seen that this is the way they operate. This is not really the right way. So. What they've done, they divided their services into multiple packages and we helped them create the platform where they can manage the financials of their uh, clients. The client can see the financial. They can see and access all their documents uh, at any time. And that would communicate with them through this platform. And now we're like, uh, we're about to launch this product, but we already see some good, really good feedback on that. So, cool. and with them, they didn't have any experience with, you know, using technology at that level before. So for them, it's a big shift, but it's, it's shift in a very good direction.
0: Pretty cool. Um, I want to talk about branding a little bit, uh, because I know that's a, a big uh, function of what you guys do at the beginning stage of the startup. How important is having the right brand and design from the beginning for startups at, at the early stage of development?
1: Um, I would say there is a huge misconception uh, that a lot of startups and even large companies have about branding. So when it comes to branding, a lot of uh, people who inquire to us, they're like, well, uh, branding wise, can you make a logo for me? Well, sure. branding is not just a logo. It's mm-hmm. pretty much, it's a unique way the company communicates with its customers, but it's not even customers. It's, its employees, it's investors and other stakeholders. And the most importantly, it has to be understandable and memorable because when people... Uh, You see your brand, they have to understand immediately what it is about, and they have to remember that very much. And it has to be reflected everywhere. It's not just the logo. It's not just the website. It's emails that you send to your customers. It's for startups. It's also their pitch deck, the words they choose when they talk to investors. So brand is all about communication. And for us the most important thing to establish with either a startup or any company that we work with is, okay, so what is that they want to communicate with their clients, why it's unique, and what's the best way of doing this? And Mm. then based on that, we help them with the logo and all the identities. Mm. So, you know, it's one um, one big process.
0: Makes sense. Uh, And the same applies, I'm assuming, for whether it's a brick and mortar or a tech company, right? That the same concept should apply?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it is the same process for a you know, multi-billion dollar company or for one-man shop. But for one-man shop or for startups, they must do a better job than a big company because the big company has already established themselves in the market. They already have the outreach. They already have the resources and everything to make sure that people remember them. And the job of the startup is to create the unique and memorable and understandable identity so Mm -hmm. that their customers are going to remember them and they're going to come to them and they're going to associate their service with them, Mm -hmm. which is extremely important. For example, everybody associates, like when you think of CRM system, right? Uh, Everybody thinks Salesforce, like immediately. So for any company that is doing new CRM system, their job is to break that association with CRM yeah. from Salesforce. They want to have it associated with their company. So it is it is a tedious, very tedious process.
0: Mm. Can, can you share a little bit uh, in more detail what that process looks like for establishing that, that, that connection? For example, I, I saw that one site I thought you did a really good job with, which was called Sir Winebot. I'll, I'll make a yeah. link to that as well, or any other startups in particular. But I, I really like that one, if you can speak about it. How did that process look like?
1: Yeah. So certain wine bots, with our studio, we launch internal products. And we usually launch them every three to six months. And the reason why we do that is because we want to discover different industries and mm-hmm. we we want to feel ourselves as a startup. Mm-hmm. Because this is, you know, this is a part that all of us are kind of missing. So every three to four months, like, hey, let's build a new product. So certain wine bots, uh, it's the idea was to make wine, you know, more sexy and entertainment for millennials. And uh, the process of creating the brand for that took four months of work. And the way, uh, you see, the way the branding came out is, for example, you're going to buy wine, most probably not the one that you see in the store, but the one that has been recommended to you by a friend. Exactly. So our job was to create a friend. And that, uh, the friend had to be funny. The friend had to be entertaining and it had to be close to you. So the way we've done this, it, uh, so the logo of the wine bot, yes, it is bright, entertaining with a monocle and everything. So this guy is really, really funny. And it's also, he seemed, uh, he seems old, so he's experienced about wine, but at the same time, mm-hmm. he's very, you know, he's not distant from you. You can talk to him. And we've done it in the way that it knows all the movies. So, for example, you can pair the wine with a movie. So you can you name it a movie, and it's going to recommend you wine in the light of that movie. For example, for the Game of Thrones, it's going to recommend that with some jokes about Game of Thrones and so on. So the idea was to make this accessible and funny so that people can learn about the wine and, you know, they want to drink wine. And this got a lot of attention because when we were at collision event in Toronto, uh, we've got a lot of interesting companies like Sign Up. We've got IBM using this 43 Norse, Telus, a lot of other companies. And in addition to that, we've got inquiries from Constellation Brands, which is a huge, uh, one, you know, the Spirits company. So, and all of that was with zero marketing dollars. We've just been on one conference with one bright brand and that got a lot of attention. So I think it's a good example of what the white brand can do without, you know, investing a lot of dollars in the advertising.
0: Cool. Kind of sells itself, right? Catches the attention. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know you're based in Canada, just, just like me, but you also work with startups all over the world, right? Um, yeah. What differences do you see in the market adoption rate uh, and the investment and startup ecosystem between say Canada, between Europe, which I think we spoke about a little bit mm-hmm. before the show, and then also the U.S., let's say.
1: Yeah. So for Canada, uh, I'm, I'm very proud of you know being in this country because I'm, I'm originally from Ukraine. I came here seven so years ago. And uh, when I first came here, I went to different startup events. And I remember that those events would appear once a month and there were like 10, 15 people on them. And now we have events where there is hundreds of people joining every few every week or so, and this is growing crazy. So I can say with confidence that based on what I see investment wise, and even the amount of startups here, I can see that this one, that Canada itself, and specifically Toronto, is becoming the fastest growing tech hub in um, in North America. And I think a huge reason for that is also governmental policy. Because, for example, if we're doing R&D as a startup or as a, any enterprise that works with us, uh, the government can uh, actually refund up to 60% of expenses and tax credits if it's done on innovation. Beside that, if there was any startup from Europe or Asia or anywhere in the world that has a talented idea and is going to be a fit for Canadian market, that startup can be established in Canadian market within a few months. This is also thanks to immigration policy. So government plays definitely a huge role here. And that's why it's growing fast. Europe, uh, Europe is great. Uh, I think I've been there a lot and like I lived in various countries in Europe a lot. And, uh, but there is, um, I would say that the VC structure is yet to be fully developed because a lot of classic European investors still perceive uh, invest in these startups as a big U.S. bubble, as one guy in Italy told me a few, on, well, not a few months back in uh, September on the conference, mm-hmm. because they don't believe in, in that trend. However, there's still a lot of great startups, especially uh, medtech, med- fintech startups, privacy startups, they are growing. And uh, I would say that U.S. and Canada actually steals a lot of startups from this ecosystem because of the way it's structured. So um, this is a great field, uh, absolutely. But I think it's going to be changing a lot. U.S. still dominates. Like, by all means, it, there's a huge population, there's a huge capital, everything. But the barriers, financial barriers to uh headquarter there and to manage the team, especially if we're talking about Silicon Valley, it's not a good option for a lot of startups. So I would say that there's definitely a shift towards Canada and but you know US is still a larger market. So any startup that operates in North America, they have to operate in the US.
0: Makes sense. Yeah. Now when you're working with a, a founder, right? You have a you're trying to build a solution. Uh, so you have a solution, it should provide enough value to the end user. Uh, but I always feel like sometimes the founder or the client has a proposal with features maybe they rarely use or the founder isn't very Clear on what their vision is, or knows exactly what they need. Right? They're like, I want to solve this problem, but maybe they don't know what the better, best approach is. How do you guys agree and align to have the same vi- vision for you know, actual functional features versus you know, non-functional features, uh, the pricing strategy, the real problem to that solution that it aims to solve, and you know, make sure you still you know deliver the maximum value there. how do you, how do you keep that balance with with the, the founder?
1: I because you're you're not, you're not the just...
0: entrepreneur, right? At the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This is you
1: see, this is the toughest problem that we have and that any startup has, because founders by nature, and I remember myself I was the victim of the same problem, is Mm -hmm. they're very self-confident. It's not even self-confidence and confidence in their vision. So for them it's there is a huge misconception that the more feature you have the better you can attract your customers. And right. I, for example, when we were building our first SaaS platform, I was like, well, Asana has those features. Well, when we must have more, that's the way we're going to attract customers, which is definitely not the case. And I think the best medicine for this is user feedback. And what we're doing with a lot of founders we will say, okay, so you have this amazing number of features that you cannot really explain in eight seconds. So you need at least 10 minutes to explain what your product is about. So how about we do this? We're going to take you to a conference. uh, And we did it like we were going with founders to Lisbon uh, Web Summit, to Collision, to different places. And we're like, okay, how about you try to explain what your problem is about uh, and what solution you're building to the people and see what they say. So when we put it like that, and we've seen a lot of founders change right away because they see that the people don't understand their product. They, they don't know what it is about. And this is too much for them to absorb. Mm-hmm. And that's the uh, the moment they step back a little bit and they're like, okay, look, now let's see. The other medicine is this, is for example, like we tell, they have this number feature and what, what we're doing, like, okay, so we're going to estimate you amount of hours that is ne- needed to complete this and this and this feature. And we're going to show you what's going to cost for, a team to, you know, make this within, let's say, three months or a year. And usually because there's a lot of feature that costs like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's the way they're like, okay, well, that's maybe not what we want to do right now. And then what we do, we create a visual prototype of the whole product and we put it as a vision in five years. And then we cut it half, 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 half until it's an MVP and this is the mvp that we then test on the customers like through mm-hmm. the interviews you know uh show demos and so on and when the customers say well i want that i need that that's the moment we say yes we're building that but the problem here is quite often the founders come up with a great idea as they think and then they try to find a problem for this i think it's probably 90% of the cases which is really, really bad approach, really bad. So uh, that's why like we usually the first thing we ask any founder that come to us is like, what is the problem that you're solving, why it is the problem, and who else experienced this problem? Mm-hmm. And based on that, we're, we're going to go out next.
0: If you're getting any negative feedback or not the, as much positive feedback as you would have liked, but the founder is still adamant. And moving forward, do you still, you know, okay, we'll do it just because you you ask, or or you say, look, this is not going to work and, you know, kind of turn them away. You see, this (laughs) is
1: really, this is really depends on the situation. If we see that they can afford a mistake, we'll let them do this. And we've, we've seen that quite often. We've seen founders building the product for a few months without, we, we literally almost had fights with founders sometimes, Mm -hmm. literally because we had six hours in the meetings and, you know nothing nothing else and i understand that we also don't know everything and everything has to be tested and what usually happens when the founder doesn't listen at all we themselves like we say okay so this is we write it down this is what we think is going to happen and we want to show it to you so you're you know the owner of the idea you're the brand owner so you make the decision if you want to decide to move forward we as a team is going to support you so we're going to help you here. But this is what we believe was going to happen. And then a few months down the road, what usually happens is not even what we decided, you know, what we uh, described. It's mostly something in between. And then they see like, okay, it doesn't work. And if the founder is, I wouldn't say smart enough, I would say that he has enough um, confidence in himself and as the product, he's going to switch it a little bit and move to the next direction. Mm. Because at the end of the day, this is, what any startup is gonna experience. We exactly. haven't seen a single startup that was launched and everything went smoothly like this. Usually you have to do a few pivots and then you're gonna grow.
0: Right. So if they're a little bit open-minded, they'll they'll hopefully look to pivot. If not, I mean you get you can advise them, give them your recommendation, but at the end of the day, they choose to yeah. move forward. Like you said, they wanna make that mistake. That's that's on them. Um, what what for you is an ideal profile of entrepreneurs that you've seen succeed? Who you want to work with and who are also, say, non-tech focused. What are, say, the minimum requirements that they need to have in in your mind?
1: Uh, For me, I believe that um, I would say that we mostly operate on red flags. What I mean by that is, for example, if we hear uh, people saying that, hey, I've got this great idea and I was thinking of building that At this moment we say no because this is this is not a startup. This is a side hassle that people are gonna be trying to do one year in the evening before the supper, and this is not something we wanna who we're gonna work with. So Mm -hmm. for us, uh founders is they are super serious about their product. They have to be ready to learn because first time founders, they need to absorb a lot of information and really, really fast and this is information financial sales marketing operations tech so there's definitely a lot of things to learn and they also are willing to risk everything and we have the i would say the brightest founders that we have are the founders who literally risk everything and they as, as i mentioned to you some people would sell their homes some people would sell like their land and literally this is their last chance to succeed there were mm-hmm. successful people before that. Those like and but still they would take that movie and you know pursue their dream. And in this case, this is also what inspires us to work with them and also what gives confidence to the investors because investors are gonna look at that and they're gonna say, Well, this person really believes in this idea if it, if he was to make that move. So for us it's a lot of you know, that kind of uh, requirements for founders. Mm-hmm. But beside that it's also about at the end of the day it's also about capital because yeah, uh, even with a lot of R and D that we have that helps us speed up the development, there is still uh some budget required to make any startup. Sometimes mm-hmm. if it's you know very small uh product, it can be done, you know, in you know, ten, twenty, thirty thousand and it really depends. But there are very technological products that requires a lot of R and D and Literally, like year or two years of development in the work of ten to twenty people. So, this startups this is definitely impossible to do within you know uh, with a budget of like ten thousand dollars. So, this is really depends on the product as well.
0: Makes sense. And do do you help them get uh, you know funding, whether it's initial angel connections or or seed capital, or is that later stage after you found uh, product market fit usually?
1: Uh, usually, we do not recommend the founders to try to raise capital before they have the MVP and before the product is proven. Because, first of all, like I think a lot of people want to build products to raise capital, which is not the way it should be. And second of all, uh, when they're attracting investors to their company or any other like shareholders, mm-hmm. they are responsible for the product success in any way, and Mm -hmm. we don't believe that they need to attract capital before they're confident that they got that market fit. So we do connect them with the investors, some of them, but it's not initially. It's only when they got some certain level of traction and only then we introduce them to somebody.
0: Got it. Makes sense. What's some kind of you know design stack, or I know no code now is, is getting pretty big here. I don't know if you guys in, incorporate that as well, or any underrated products that your team uses, and maybe SaaS founders can take away or and start using to help them maybe stand apart.
1: Yeah, uh, see, I'm a huge tool guy. Like okay. we with okay. our team, we review about forty to fifty tools per week, wow. and yeah, we examine mm-hmm. them because our job is to make the development. High quality and has to be fed down fast because the founders they don't have enough budget to pay for you know us trying things. So we need to be confident. So I would say three tools. One okay. is the most underrated from my perspective, and I think this is one of the most uh, interesting startups out there. It's the tool called Webflow. Webflow yeah. So Webflow, yeah, it's a YC alumni. And uh, it's a website builder tool. But the way it works is you literally can create amazing designs in a matter of hours. And we're building a lot of websites and we're building a lot of e commerces And we pretty much we come to the extent where we say that, well, if we're building the website for you, we're building that only on Webflow, nothing else. That's it. Because if you want us to do WordPress, we're not going to do this. Because we believe this is the future, and Webflow you you can actually do a SaaS platform with Webflow. You don't need to learn to you know to do a lot of coding. You can use Zapier and Webflow to create a SaaS platform, essentially. So this is really really nice tool. Another tool is Firebase by Google, and this one requires a little bit of coding, but I think it's a genius product because it can help you to set up your database servers. Storage and everything in you know in a few minutes. Literally. So this one is amazing, and the third one is Intercom. It's another great startup, and I think a lot of startups underestimate the communication with clients initially. And see your, uh, like Intercom handles everything: it stores your client data, allows you to communicate with them, marketing anything. So I think it's it is a great
0: tool. Cool. So Webflow, Firebase, and Intercom. And I think, I believe yeah. your website, when I saw it, that's the first thing that came to mind is I believe that's a Webflow as well. Yeah.
1: All, yeah. all the static websites so. that we build are Intercom. Sometimes e- e-commerce we're building
0: a Shopify, but we prefer Webflow. Mm. I love how fast they are right there. I think they're super optimized for SEO. I think it's ranks like 98 on, on Google Speed Insights. It's exactly. pretty impressive. Yeah. Super clean. Um, so I understand you're looking to make a shift and potentially you know, raise your own VC fund moving forward. Uh, what does the, you know, the second half of 2020 look like for you? And what are you most excited about making that shift? Um,
1: well, for me, uh, the VC fund was I, my goal for the last five years, but I feel that I'm only now ready to move into that direction. Uh, but still, like, for the most exciting part for me for 2020, I would say that it's not connected to VC fund. It's connected to the fact that I'm going to become a father in a few weeks. Cool. So for me, Congrats that's the us. most exciting part. Uh, but speaking of the fund, uh, I would say that, um, I'm in the very beginning of starting this process because it's not even about creating the right financial structure and attracting the investors. But it's also about creating the right mechanism of working with startups and the way I want to structure the fund is we want to help founders not just by doing capital injections but also educating them on the process of branding sales development and helping them in this direction as we discussed before the call it's indeed like a VC studio it's indeed that that type of process, but geographically we want to be focused on Europe because there is a lot of undervaluated startups, and undervaluated. I mean, both financially and uh, you know, product adoption. And I've seen this many times. I've seen the great ideas not being adopted in Italy, in Germany, in France. But I know that there would be a great fit here. So we are going to be searching for startups there and helping them, you know, adopt their products in the Canadian market and then in the U.S. market. So that's, that's the goal. But my biggest excitement in this process is, is to help because that's what we're doing with the studio as well is we want to help startups because if we can grow this amazing ecosystem here, this is the ecosystem that can, you know, cure the disease. It can help to save lives. It can help to, you know, create other amazing movements as well. So mm-hmm. I think being a part of this is what motivates me a lot and being able to help startups at another level is something that I'm dreaming.
0: love it. So if uh, we have any SaaS founders or entrepreneurs who are based in Europe and they're looking to maybe expand or grow their startup in the US or Canada, obviously get in touch with Dimitro, get on his wait list as they they launch the next couple months or a year. Um, How can our audience get in touch with you and learn more uh, about yourself or apply to work with your studio or your future VCs fund?
1: Well, uh I'm reachable with, you know, through emails for LinkedIn. I'm very uh, you know, I'm, I try to be as as responsive as I can for me. It's hard with a 14-16 hours workday. It's sometimes it's hard, but I I I will respond. So, you know, with LinkedIn or my email, I can, you know, leave my personal email here as well. And you can reach out to me. What we usually do with startups is uh most of the time, when we get a call, we we listen. We provide the recommendation. We actually going to tell you whether we think it's going to be beneficial for you to work with us, mm-hmm. or there is some other way that you can take. So we're you know it's it's all about recommendation. So I'm going to be happy to answer like any questions. So you can reach out to me with personal email or
0: Okay, awesome, Dimitri. I really appreciate you taking the time today and, and speaking to me. Thank, thank, you. thank
1: you. Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you all for listening in to today's episode. Don't forget to join us for another episode where we interview top leaders and experts in the business and SaaS industry. If you enjoyed this episode, I ask that you please give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be really, really appreciated. Otherwise, if you have any feedback, suggestions, or improvements for this podcast, please feel free to send it directly to me on our website at horizoncapital.com. Or you can just tweet me at Akil Jabbar. Thanks again and hope to see you guys on the next episode.